This is possibly the most tragic story that you will ever hear. My, my heart is literally broken. I read this story over the weekend. I wanted to talk to you about it today. Um, your heart will break. My heart is breaking. A 37-year-old woman, she's a mother. She's a Catholic mother. She was a stay-at-home mom. Her daughters are five years old and three years old. She took the COVID-19 vaccine and she died from the COVID-19 vaccine. It gave her a blood clot and she died from it. Now, that headline in and of itself, that introduction, that's tragic no matter what the story, but this is so horribly tragic because this woman was coerced into getting this vaccine. So as I said, 37-year-old, this is crucial, her age, because her age means she's not at high risk of COVID fatality. She had no underlying health conditions, no comorbidity. She was healthy. A 37-year-old healthy mother, a young healthy mother. She had weighed the risk of the COVID vaccine and she had determined that the risk of the vaccine to her specifically outweighed the risk of COVID-19, the virus, to her specifically. So she decided not to get the COVID vaccine. But then, then her children's school told her that she could not be a classroom mom unless she got the vaccine. Again, her daughters are five years old and three years old, so she obviously wanted to be in their classroom sometimes, to be involved in their education. So she didn't want to get this vaccine. She was coerced into getting this vaccine under threat of not being allowed in her children's classroom, and then she was killed by the COVID vaccine. Her name is Jessica Berg-Wilson. You can see her photo on the screen. Is this the most heartbreaking thing? I prayed all weekend for this woman and for her husband, her poor grieving husband, her daughters age five and age three who, who have to grow up without their mother now. And so here's my question for public health officials, because you know what the reaction from public health officials and from Democratic politicians would be to a story like this. First of all, they don't cover it. But if they did, they would say, well, this is extremely rare. It rarely happens. This is probably statistically not gonna happen to you. And here's what I would say in response to that. Okay, I accept that premise for the sake of this argument. So even if it's extremely rare, even if it's just 100 people who die from this vaccine out of the millions and millions and millions of people in our country who've gotten to the vaccine, the actual number, by the way, is according to VAERS, is about 14,000. But for the sake of this argument, let's just say it was only 100. Can public health officials and politicians who are mandating this vaccine or using coercion to force people like Jessica Berg-Wilson to get this vaccine, can you look these low-risk people, they're people, can you look these people in the eye and say to them, I'm willing to sacrifice your life for the vague idea of public health? You might die, you will die, and I'm willing to let you die because of this vaccine for the idea of public health. I, for one, would love to hear, not, that's not a rhetorical question. I, for one, would love to hear a public health official actually answer that question. I wanna hear what the response to that question is, because then we can all make the decision for ourselves based on that answer. You will not believe, by the way, the horrifying history of forced vaccination in our country, and we're gonna get to that in just a moment. I'm Liz Wheeler, welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. So I was talking to you guys on Instagram this weekend, I think it was Friday, or this past weekend on Friday, and I asked what topics you wanted to talk about um, and what shows you wanted to hear, and the top voted um, show topic, the top voted show title was The History of Forced Vaccination in the United States, and I did a little deep dive into that topic this weekend, and boy oh boy, basically to sum it up, the history of forced vaccination here in the United States is racist. We're gonna get to that in a second, but first I wanna talk to you about Headspace. So you've probably tried meditation before. 
maybe it didn't work. Or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong. I know that's the case with me. So if mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of relaxation in the form of guided meditations, and it all comes in an easy-to-use app on your smartphone. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace got you covered. A three-minute meditation for you. Need help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by, and parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach helps reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, increase your overall sense of well-being. You deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash Liz. That's headspace.com slash Liz for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash Liz. You have to use my promo code, though, to get this very good deal, this limited time deal. It's the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash Liz. We know politics is stressful. Headspace can help relieve some of that stress. Headspace.com slash Liz. Okay, so we all know that Governor Gavin Newsom mandated the COVID-19 vaccine for school children in the state of California as soon as it becomes fully FDA approved. All school children, public school and private school, are forced to get this vaccine, and Newsom justifies it uh, as follows. Take a listen. That's why we recognize our responsibility to do more, and that's what we are announcing here today. A statewide requirement for in-person instruction for all of our children to add to a well-established list that currently includes 10 vaccinations and well-established rules and regulations that have been advanced by the legislature for decades to add to that list the vaccination uh, for COVID-19. We intend to do that once the FDA has fully approved the vaccine, which will give us time to work with districts, give us time to work with parents. So I love how when he's talking about the history of uh, mandated vaccination in our country, he only mentions the public school vaccine or the, the vaccines that are mandated for public school kids. What are there, 10 vaccines that you have to give to your kid if you want to send them to public school? That's the only part of the history of mandated vaccines that Newsom mentions. And you'll see why. I wonder why when you actually learn what the truth of mandated vax, forced vaccination is in our country. So just keep that in mind as we move forward. So what we're facing here is we're facing in states like California, we're facing school children having the vax mandated, we're facing in New York City, you know, a citywide um, mandate or quasi-mandate where um, New York is forcing private enterprise, gyms, restaurants, entertainment venues to enforce the vaccine mandate on their customers. We see the same thing in San Francisco. On a federal level, we see Biden with his uh, OSHA employer vax mandate, you know, his military mandate, his mandate for federal government employees and contractors. And by the way, just one quick word here on the OSHA mandate, the mandate from Biden, um, where he says that if you're an employer who has over 100 employees, then you are required to mandate it for your employees. You'll notice that Biden did not actually mandate it himself. He didn't say, every worker, you have to be mandated. He's just trying to force the employer to do it. Why? Because Biden knows he has zero constitutional authority to dictate this to employers. He has zero constitutional authority to dictate that employers force their employees to be vac vaccinated either. I mean, there, I, I fully expect this particular vaccine mandate to be overturned. I hope I'm correct. I hope there are enough credible, constitutional-minded judges on the bench in our judicial system that they will overturn this regardless of whether they're Republican or Democrat or like the vaccine or hate the vaccine or who cares what their opinion is. The precedent here is they should overturn this because the emergency temporary standard that Biden is trying to use, that's a labor department, by the way, 
a sub-agency of the Labor Department, the Occupations Health and Safety Administration, that's OSHA, they issued a rule, not a law, a rule, using an emergency temporary standard that allows them to bypass normal rulemaking and regulatory processes. And the rule that they used says the secretary, the Labor Department, shall provide without regard to the requirements of Chapter 5 of Title 5 for an emergency temporary standard to take immediate effect upon publication in the Federal Register if he determines that A, employees are exposed to grave danger from exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful or from new hazards, and B, that such emergency standard is necessary to protect employees from danger. So this doesn't take a rocket scientist to know. Um, to question, I should say, has OSHA determined that all large employers are exposing all employees to grave danger? Well, no, they're not. Even without a vaccine mandate, they're not because the employees have the opportunity to get the vaccine themselves so they can protect themselves from any danger that they might feel going into an, a place of employment where they might contract COVID-19. So it doesn't even make any sense. That's the first thing. The second thing is emergency temporary standards are, as the name suggests, temporary. Permanent standards are differently governed and vaccines are not a temporary thing. Vaccines are supposedly, maybe not with the COVID-19 vaccine, but wouldn't that be a funny argument coming from the government? Vaccines are permanent. So if this were permanent, then OSHA would have to make a, quote, threshold finding that a place of employment is unsafe in the sense that significant risks are present and can be eliminated or lessened by a change in practices. Again, vaccines are not supposed to be temporary, regardless of whether the COVID-19 vaccine has permanent efficacy or not. Um, they're supposedly permanent. They are a permanent thing that you do to your body. You can't undo them. Um, okay, so like I said, a little tangential on Biden's OSHA thing. I fully expect this to be overturned. It should be overturned. The last time the federal government used OSHA, used an emergency temporary standard, it was regarding asbestos. It was overturned um, in the courts. That was the last time an administration tried to use that. So as I said, we're, we're seeing this influx of vaccine mandates, private sector, kind of private sector, the government coercing the private sector in schools. At the federal level, Senator Dianne Feinstein has introduced a bill to force uh, a vaccine passport for domestic air travel. She wants the airlines to make people prove they're vaccinated. So in response to all of this, I think specifically in response to Governor Newsom's mandate for school children, Congressman Jim Jordan tweeted, vaccine mandates are un-American, period. That's all he tweeted. And I, th I think he's right. I think he's correct. The idea of government being so powerful that they can force you to do something with your body that you otherwise don't want to do, I mean, that's fundamentally anti-American because that's fundamentally anti-liberty. That The philosophy of the thing is a conversation for a different day. We're talking about the history of vaccine mandates here. So the response from the left and from the mainstream media to Jim Jordan's tweet, the immediate response, I mean, you can just do a quick Google search of Jim Jordan vaccine mandates are un-American and all these mainstream media outlets had the same response. They were like, no, no, Jim Jordan's wrong. He's incorrect. We actually have a long history of forced vaccination and vaccine mandates in the United States of America. And so here's what I would say. Well, yes, technically they are correct. We actually do have a history of vaccine mandates in the United States of America. But, but just because we have a history of something, does that automatically make it correct to do now? We have a history of slavery in this country. We have a history of racial discrimination. We have a history of subjugation of women. We have a history of internment camps for Asian Americans because of the way that they look. We have a history of suspension of habeas corpus. But does that make it right or would it make it right for us to implement those violations of liberty now, 
just because we have a history of it? Obviously not. Obviously not. And such is the same with vaccine mandates. And the precedent, by the way, the precedent that was set by the Supreme Court, this, this case that the left always talks about, this 1905 ruling from the Supreme Court that says that government can actually mandate vaccines. This, this was a terrible ruling, first of all, but the precedent, the far-reaching impacts of the Supreme Court ruling, it went beyond vaccination and it literally, not figuratively, it literally harmed tens of thousands of women in our nation. It's shocking. We're gonna get to that in one second, but first I wanna talk to you about Paint Your Life. So we have a new sponsor, Paint Your Life, paintyourlife.com, and it's super cool. I love it. So how it works is this. You take a photograph of your favorite memory and you send it in to paintyourlife.com. They have a professional artist paint a portrait of your photo and then they mail you that portrait. And my producers submitted a photo on my behalf. I don't know what it is and it arrived. So I wanna, I wanna see what it is. I wanna reveal it. And I thought we could do that right now. Let's do it right now. I have, I literally did not peek. I promise I did not peek. I did not open the box before right now. I do not know what this is going to be, but this is what they got for me. Let me look. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, it's Sweet Ugly George. It's Sweet Ugly George. Do you guys remember Sweet Ugly George? Our post-production manager, Victoria, adopted this hideous, horrible beast with this terrible underbite, and she thinks he's a beautiful dog. I love this so much. This is so funny. This is not what I was expecting, actually. What I was expecting is I thought you were gonna send me a picture of Spencer, a big portrait of Spencer. Um, Sweet Ugly George will forever hang uh, in my studio. This is so great. As you can see, you can pick any picture that you want. You can do a wedding anniversary. You can do your grandchildren. You can do a favorite pet. You can do the ugliest dog in the entire world. Whatever is meaningful to you, you just submit your photo. There's an approval process where you'll approve the draft of the painting before it happens, and then they'll send it to you. It's actually not that expensive. When I looked into this, I figured it would be expensive. It's really not. And if you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guarantee. Right now, limited time offer, you can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get the special offer, you have to text the word Liz, my name, text the word Liz to 64,000. That's Liz to 64,000. Paint Your Life is obviously so much fun. Celebrate the moments that matter most or the dogs that you think are the literal ugliest dogs in the world. Sweet, ugly George, memorialized forever. Thank you. Thank you to my team for this um, Hilarious surprise, I really do like it, it's great. So this 1905 Supreme Court ruling um, ruled that the government does have the power, I don't wanna say the authority because that um, at least insinuates that it's somewhat legitimate and I don't believe that it is, but it gave governments the authority to mandate vaccines if they believe that it's an epidemic or if they believe that it's an emergency, if it's a reasonable infringement on people's liberty. Um, it's sort of the general welfare type of argument here. But re regardless, regardless, again, I think that's wrong. We can get into that. But the precedent set by Jacobson versus Massachusetts, um, this, this reasonable intrusion on your personal, well, on your personhood, really, it's not even personal liberty, it's on your person. This reasonable intrusion by the government on your person, um, this precedent, or this set the precedent for a notorious and infamous Supreme Court ruling called Buck versus Bell. In Buck versus Bell, the Supreme Court allowed the government to forcibly sterilize a woman because the allegation was that this woman was mentally unfit to be a mother. And so the government wanted to sterilize her body, take away her reproductive capacity, her womanhood, because they said that she was mentally unfit to be a mother. And the precedent, not the precedent, but the, the ramification from Buck versus Bell led to 60,000 
60,000 women in the United States being forcibly sterilized by the government. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And, and Supreme Court Justi Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, this is what he wrote. Um, he said, the principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is broad enough to cover cutting the fallopian tubes. How awful is that? How truly awful is that? 60,000 women were sterilized based on the precedent set in Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which allowed the government to intrude on your person and forcibly vaccinate you. So the same ruling, the principle found in that ruling, justified eugenics in our country. Think about that. It justified eugenics. So yeah, there's a history of forced vaccination in our country. And that history, the precedent of that ruling justified sterilizing women based on the idea of eugenics. So that's pretty awful. So I think we should decide collectively whether just because something's history, does it mean that we should repeat it? Or should we learn from the mistakes that we've made in our history so that we don't intrude upon um, people's bodies the way that we have in the past? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, it was very interesting during this time. So this 1905 Supreme Court ruling was based on these series of sort of small, small smallpox um, epidemics. And I say small epidemics because there were sort of a series of localized epidemics that happened um, at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century that led to um, Jacobson refusing a vaccine mandate and um, then suing all the way to the Supreme Court. So these small epidemics of smallpox were handled at the local, at the local level, typically by um, counties. They were not handled at the federal level. In fact, the president at the time, Teddy Roosevelt, wasn't involved. He was actually criticized because he was so uninvolved in what was going on with those um, epidemics. But maybe that's the place for the local, local government, for county public health officials or for states, not really for the federal government. Actually, it was rarely even the states. It was mostly county public health officials. This was before um, the administrative state that we always talk about, before the expansion of the federal government. So that's the other thing, is if we're actually talking historical precedent, then we should look at which government officials were actually involved because it really wasn't the federal government. But let's talk about smallpox for a second, because remember when I debated Benjamin Wittes um, on Newsweek's The Debate podcast, and he repeatedly brought up the smallpox vaccine, and he said it was mandated, and he was trying to, he thought it was a trick question to ask me whether I believed in um, smallpox vaccine mandates, and, you know, I called him out on the debate tactic, but I want to talk about that tonight, because it's so interesting. It's so interesting when, I, when we ask the question, what is the history with the smallpox vaccine mandate? Because that was the first vaccine mandate that our country had faced. What is the history? And should it be repeated as it was done? So this weekend, I delved into this question. I tried to do some in-depth research. I read a book called uh, Pox in American History by author Michael Wilrich. And I will warn you from the outset, if you plan to read that book, he's very liberal and he draws some liberal conclusions in this book, but it does have some very, very interesting and illuminating historical facts. And here's what I found from this book and other sources, uh, individual independent sources, as well. So if we're talking about the history of government intrusion during epidemics or pandemics, um, and as it relates to vaccine mandates, here's what some of the things that our governments, our local governments, our public health officials, and our state governments did to the American people, how they infringed upon our liberties during um, outbreaks of smallpox. So one of the things that they did, and we actually now, you and I, we hear about this only in Australia when we hear about these detention camps set up in Queensland, or we heard about it, this very radical leftist 
um, individual in the New York State Assembly had proposed, this, I think this was over a year ago, um, this idea of these forced detention facilities where people, if they'd been just suspected of being exposed to COVID, um, would be required to keep themselves in these detention facilities. Horrifying stuff. Well, that's actually happened in our country already. And back then, at the beginning of the 1900s, during these smallpox outbreaks, they were called pest houses. Pest houses. And if you were sick with smallpox, or if you were even suspected of being sick, you were forcibly taken to these pest houses. Now, you didn't get hospital care. You barely got medical care there. In fact, those who were exposed to smallpox or suspected of being sick but not sick yet, they were the ones that were forced to care for the sick people. You had a higher chance of survival back then if you were cared for at home with family than if you were forcibly taken to a pest house. So it's no wonder that a lot of families kept, um, kept it secret if a family had smallpox and instead cared for that family member at their home. But you were forced to go to a pest house. In fact, it wasn't just adults. There were children who were ripped from their mother's arms and sent to die in these pest houses including infants and babies. I could barely read this. Thinking about my own daughter, she's eight months old. Imagine if, I mean, I was imagining if she got sick and someone came to my house and ripped her from my arms and forced her to go to a detention camp because she was ill, where no one cared for her. She got no medical care and she died. Over my literal dead body, would that ever happen? Would that ever happen? But it happened. This is the history of how public health officials infringed on people's bodily um, bodily liberty. This is the history of vaccine mandates in our country. This happened in the United States of America. And during these smallpox outbreaks, there were, there were cities and localities that proposed segregation. I'm talking about racial segregation. White people over here, black people over here in the name of public health. They were quick to blame, you know, to blame others, to blame out-of-towners, to blame black people, to blame racial minorities, to blame anybody at all. And the result of that fear of being infected by someone who doesn't look like you, they propose racial segregation. So all of this, all of this, when I say that there's racism inherent to um, these vaccine mandates, oh, just you wait, it gets much, much worse. So when it comes to the actual vaccination mandates, there were vaccination cores. I'm talking nighttime raids by police officers. These police officers would come up to people's houses. They would take their night sticks. They would rap on people's doors because they knew they would be home at 3 a.m. They would force people to show on their arms whether they had the mark of the smallpox vaccine. And if they didn't, they literally forced them to get vaccinated. I'm talking they arrested people. They put them in handcuffs. And they forcibly vaccinated them at gunpoint. This is the history of vaccine mandates in our country. So yeah, we do have a history of vaccine mandates, of forced vaccination in our country, and it's not a good history. Cities were giving public health officials at the time the power to vaccinate people with or without their consent. And you think this is bad, this is horrendous? And it is, it's bad and horrendous. But who were targeted by these vaccination core, these task forces of police officers and city vaccinators who were targeted? Black Americans, black neighborhoods, buildings that housed black people. That's who was targeted. That's who had police officers rapping on their door, beating down their door at 3 a.m. 
arresting them, handcuffing them, and vaccinating them forcibly at gunpoint. Black Americans, that's who. Now you might be thinking, okay, well, these were race-neutral laws, right? They applied equally to everybody, and you'd be correct. Now, this is where it becomes very ironic because you and I know that critical race theory is racialism um, used as a tactic to usher in Marxism, but what the left claims critical race theory is, the left claims, and it's erroneous, but for the sake of this argument, we're going to talk about their premise. The left claims critical race theory is a way of looking at race-neutral laws to see whether there's a disproportionate impact on Black Americans, the impact of the law, regardless of whether there's any racially or any racial tone or... Um, racial motivation, or not racial motivation, but any any uh, racially charged language in that bill, they look at the actual impact of the bill. Does it disproportionately harm black Americans? And the answer to that question of vaccine mandates, did vaccine mandates, racially neutral vaccine mandates, harm black Americans disproportionately? Oh yeah, they did. Black Americans were specifically targeted. And yet, yet, now, Democrats want vaccine mandates and they're ignoring, they're huge hypocrites. They're ignoring this premise of critical race theory that they claim critical race theory is just looking at the disproportionate impacts of race-neutral laws on black Americans, they're ignoring it because it doesn't suit their political agenda on vaccine mandates. You cannot make up this irony. They refuse, Democrats in this day and age, today's Democrats refuse to play by their own rules. They want to repeat a history that disproportionately violated black people, black bodies, black Americans. Horrifying. So during these smallpox uh, outbreaks, um, there was actually widespread opposition to vaccine mandates. There's also a history of that. People did not want to be told what to do. And one of the reasons that people were resistant to these vaccine mandates for the smallpox vaccine is because just like we're seeing today with COVID-19, there was um, an exaggerated fatality rate that was being peddled by public health officials. There, it, we were told, or people back then were told that it was 20, 30, 40, 50% fatality because some strains of smallpox, there was that high of a fatality rate. But at the turn of the century back then, there was a new strain of smallpox that actually killed less than 1% of people it infected. Interesting how history repeats itself. So people were resistant to this vaccine mandate because they didn't feel that the vaccine was necessary or that their risk, um, that their risk of smallpox weighed against their risk from the vaccine was a good risk that they wanted to take because of vaccine safety issues. Now, there were two different smallpox vaccines. The older one was where you scrape the arm um, versus the newer one was the vaccine or was the injection, maybe like the typical smallpox vaccine. But there were vaccine safety issues that people were afraid of back then. So with the, with the, um, with the inoculation where you scrape your arm, there was worry just about basic hygiene. You know, you could get syphilis, you could get tetanus, from these vaccines, they were very unsafe. There was no regulation of the vaccine industry. You could get such bad, swollen, sore arms that working people missed works for weeks and they couldn't afford to do that. You could actually get infected with the smallpox from these vaccines. And when you were infected with the smallpox from the inoculation, you could infect others. So people were worried, rightfully so, about the um, safety issue of some of these vaccines. And then when you contrast that with the fact that it was this new strain of smallpox that wasn't killing 30, 40, 50, 60% of people, people were very opposed to a vaccine mandates for the same reason as now. They had religious beliefs against forced vaccine. There were alternative medicine practitioners and people practicing alternative medicine who wanted to treat it in a different way. People were worried about government tyranny. They were worried that compuls compulsory vaccination was this, um, was this conspiracy, really, between corrupt public health officials, corrupt lawmakers, 
and corrupt vaccine manufacturers. This is the history of forced vaccination in our country. This is the history that the left isn't telling you the full story about. They're, they just point to that 1905 Supreme Court ruling and say, well, we have a history of forced vaccination and vaccine mandates in our country. And sure, we do. But they're not telling you the whole story that, it's, that it had these terrible racist repercussions, that, they, that there were these vaccine task force that were beating on people's doors, arresting them, handcuffing them, vaccinating them forcibly at gunpoint that there was widespread resistance. There were societies, anti-vaccine mandate societies that were formed. There were legislative campaigns to to repeal these mandates. There were court challenges. There was hiding of sick family members, forged vaccination cards, believe it or not. There was refusal to comply. There were people that burned down the pest houses to resist being taken there. There were fights with police. Uh, There was running away from vaccinators. I mean, this this was heavy, deep stuff. A very serious legitimate conflict between the American people and government that was overstepping their boundaries, even in the face of an epidemic. These public health officials were abusing their power. They were shutting down schools and churches and saloons. They were prohibiting uh, people from assembling in streets. They were prohibiting kids from going outside. They were burning down privately owned residences if people in those residences were infected um, and they couldn't figure out a way to sanitize those houses. They were burning them down. This is the history of vaccine mandates in our country, and history repeats itself. This one is just gonna kill you. The New York Times back then did the exact same thing. They were in favor of forced vaccination. This is what they said. This is not only a wise measure of personal precaution, but it is a public duty which every citizen owes it to those with whom he comes in daily contact. And the New York Times called those who resisted vaccine mandates, ready for this? Can't make this up. Imbecile cranks influenced by foreign ideas. That's the New York Times. They haven't changed a bit. So the the moral of this story here is, yeah, we do have a lot of history in our country, some of which should be repeated and some of which should not be repeated. We shouldn't be repeating slavery. We shouldn't be repeating racial discrimination. We shouldn't be repeating subjugation of women. We shouldn't be repeating putting Asian Americans in internment camps. And we shouldn't be repeating vaccine mandates that are an abuse of power that are tyrannical, that are a violation of people's inherent individual liberty and a violation of their body. We should not be repeating this. And yet the Democrats don't want you to know the whole story. And they, of course, advocate for this very history to be repeated. It's absolutely horrifying. At the same time, our public health officials, uh, our CDC director in particular, in this day and age, Walensky, she admitted something this week that if you or I said, we'd be kicked off big tech. We're gonna talk about that in a second, but first, um, I'm headed to college campuses across America this fall in partnership with my friends at the Young America's Foundation. At these campus events, I'll be able to talk directly with you and your peers about the issues that affect all of our lives, maybe vaccine mandates. Plus, I'll be taking questions live. Now, YAF, YAF, is the master of these campus events. They've been hosting speakers on campus for literally decades. I am thrilled and honored to be working with YAF to come visit your school. So please put in a request, do it now to host an event with me on your campus this fall. It's super easy, but spots are filling up very quickly. All you have to do is go to lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. That's lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. I've always loved meeting students on campuses and at um, YAF's conferences. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. We're gonna talk about all kinds of things, foreign policy, abortion, vaccine mandates, cancel culture, feminism. You know, it's gonna get interesting during the Q&A when the leftists show up. So don't miss out. Put in a request today. If you know a student in your life, who is uh, on campus, don't wait. Go to lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. 
lizwheelershow.com slash YAF, and I'll see you on campus this fall. So Dr. Fauci is perhaps the most ridiculous person on the face of the earth. I'm surprised uh, the Democrats even embrace him anymore because he's an embarrassment even to the left. Listen to what he admitted this weekend about his strategy to eradicate COVID from our country. Take a listen. It is an assumption that is okay to get infected and to get mild and moderate disease as long as you don't wind up in the hospital and die. And I have to be open and honest. I reject that. Mm-hmm. I think we should be preventing people from getting sick from COVID, even if they don't wind up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. There it is. You heard it for yourself. We, now, you and I have been saying for a long time now that Fauci's strategy is not to eliminate deaths from COVID-19. It's not to mitigate hospitalizations from COVID-19. We've said, well, it's obvious that Fauci's strategy is zero COVID, which is a patently ridiculous strategy because you can't just eradicate COVID. It's endemic now. Just like our medical uh, system has never been able to eradicate the common cold. Even with a vaccine, we can't eradicate the flu because the strains mutate. COVID-19 is the same way. You don't have to be a scientist to see that for yourself. Um, But we've said, well, Fauci's advocating for zero COVID. That's why his strategies, all these public policy uh, directives that he's recommending and that are taken um, into account by all of these local and state and even federal health officials. That's why they're so absurd because he's trying to get to zero COVID. And he just admitted it. Here's the thing though. Even New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who is a nut, a total nut, even Ardern is abandoning a zero COVID strategy. Why? Because it's nutty. It's so, so nutty. But Fauci, Fauci still thinks we should do that. That's why he's advocating, by the way, things like, I don't know if it's too soon to tell if you can gather for Christmas. He literally said that. Take a listen. But we can gather for Christmas or it's just too soon to tell? You know, Margaret, we, it's just too soon to tell. We've just okay. got to concentrating on continuing to get those numbers down and not try yeah. to jump ahead by weeks or months and say what we're going to do at a particular time. Oh, OK. So let's just make one thing clear. I will be gathering for, with my family at Christmas period. Fauci's not my boss. He's not your boss either. He's nobody's boss. This is so ridiculous. But after a lot of people, by the way, had the same reaction that you're having, the same reaction that I'm having, um, because of this reaction, Fauci has flip-flopped. After he said that, he altered his statements. He said, well, it's probably okay for vaccinated people to gather at Christmas. Um, and he said that his original comments were misinterpreted. So isn't that so special how when he says something that he regrets, he then accuses us of being too stupid to understand what he originally said. Like, no, sir, I am perfectly able to interpret what you say. Perfectly able to interpret it. Um, the, the proper interpretation, actually, is not only is he an idiot, not only is he not our boss, um, it's also interesting to note that now, this is how the science works. The science changes relative to public backlash. That's not exactly the kind of science that I want ruling dictates from the federal government. Um, Speaking of the federal government, CDC Director Walensky admitted no caveats here, absolutely no caveats. She says that the COVID-19 vaccine does not prevent transmission of the COVID-19 virus. Um, And just in case there's any liberals who are questioning whether I'm not giving proper context, where there was nuance to what Walensky said, listen for yourself. 
Um, our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. So if you're going home to somebody who has not been vaccinated, to somebody who can't get vaccinated, somebody who might be immunosuppressed or a little bit frail, somebody who has um, uh, comorbidities that put them at high risk, I would suggest you wear a mask in public indoor settings. So I put, I put the full context, the full clip in there, not just the sentence when she said, what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission because I don't want, I want liberals to listen to this for what it is. I want you to hear this, hear what she said. I'm not taking this out of contact, context. I'm not selectively editing this. Walensky herself said that what the vaccines cannot do anymore is prevent transmission of the virus. And yes, it's a big LOL that she also said they're working exceptionally well. Really? Exceptionally well is can't even prevent transmission of the virus? Um, so ridiculous, but also worth noting, if I had posted that pre the weekend when Walensky said that, or if you had posted that on your Facebook, big tech would censor us. We are not allowed to say that the COVID-19 vaccine does not prevent transmission of the virus. But Walensky is allowed to say it. So lovely, lovely double standard. Meanwhile, um, Pfizer, Pfizer also knows that their vaccine is um, problematic and that the strategy from the government is problematic, especially when it comes to natural immunity. James O'Keefe and Project Veritas have done it again. And if you guys have not watched this video already, this one is a doozy. It's about 10 minutes long. I'm not going to show the whole thing, but I am going to show a very critical part here. This one does not disappoint. Pfizer scientists are caught on undercover camera talking about natural immunity. Take a listen to this. Inside of course, than the actual virus. So your antibodies are probably better at that point than the vaccination. Nick Carl is an experienced biochemist at Pfizer with a history of working in the pharmaceutical industry. Nick admits to our undercover journalist that those who've had COVID have stronger immunity than those who've received the Pfizer COVID vaccine. When somebody is naturally um, immune, like they got COVID, um, they probably have better, like not better, but more antibodies against the virus. Because what the vaccine is, is like I said, that protein that's just on the outside. So it's just one antibody against one specific part of the virus. When you actually get the virus, you're going to start producing antibodies against like multiple pieces of the virus. And not only just like the outside portion, like the inside portion and the actual virus. So your antibodies are probably better at that point than the vaccination. So I'm well protected? Yeah. Like as much as the vaccine? Probably more. How so? Like how much more? You're protected most likely for longer since it was a natural response. We're like bred and taught to be like, like vaccine is safer than, than actually getting COVID. You cannot like talk about this in public. If you have antibodies built up, like you should be able to prove that you have those built up. So natural immunity is better than artificial vaccine immunity. I mean, we all knew this. These are the guys that work at Pfizer, scientists that work at Pfizer, and they admit that natural immunity is better than the vaccine. So if regardless of your political stripe, regardless of whether you're vaxxed or unvaxxed, ask your elected official, demand from the Biden administration that they respond to this. How can, how can these vaccine mandates not take into account immunity to COVID-19 that is better 
than vaccine-induced immunity? How can they not take into account natural immunity? So that's the first thing. The other things, as I said, the video is about 10 minutes long. Highly recommend that you watch the whole thing. But other revelations in this video, they admit, these scientists admit that Pfizer is keeping track of who has been vaccinated. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. Pfizer's keeping track of who's been vaccinated. They said Pfizer is now run on COVID money. They said that even in their own offices, they can't discuss things that implicate big pharma because there's ears everywhere. People are listening. They talk about being indoctrinated in political narratives, how to speak about um, all, all the vaccine-related stuff in public. They're basically being trained in political narratives. And this is a really shocking one, a really shocking. We should all be horrified. Monoclonal antibodies are being downplayed and dismissed because the, because the big pharma, these companies, these pharmaceutical companies, make more money on the vaccine. Shocking. Great work, James O'Keefe. Great work, Project Veritas. Can't wait to see more. I know that there's more in the coming days on this. So Senator Ted Cruz and I spoke recently about the ongoing border crisis in Del Rio, Texas, his state, the great free state of Texas, as he said. Um, and we talked about why Haitians and why Del Rio all of a sudden? And I got to tell you, um, Senator Cruz knew the answer to this, and it's really, really illuminating. So if you are a Locals VIP, you have exclusive early access um, to this interview. Just go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals to see the full uncensored interview. It's really good, really interesting. Um, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Um, also, Tune in for the Verdict Tour. Verdict with Ted Cruz is going on tour to college campuses. They'll be at the University of Wisconsin-Madison on October 13th. They'll be at Texas A&M University on October 14th. It's going to be great. They're going to live tape um, on stage in front of a live audience of college students. To find out how you can attend, go to yaf.org slash verdict live. yaf.org slash verdict live. You can also watch it live streaming on YouTube at Verdict with Ted Cruz, that channel, or the YAF TV channel. Verdict with Ted Cruz channel or the YAF TV channel. Um, we're going to talk about former Vice President Mike Pence's comments and the mainstream media backlash against his comments about January 6th. We will cover that tomorrow. But right now, the great and powerful Jay Hay says, I got to stop talking. We are out of time for today. Before we are back, in the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought. Question authority. Follow the facts and don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. I read them all. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.